Her name was Addie. Her new parents had gone to bring her home, and they returned to their home in Arizona where she would live with them and her two new teenage brothers. She had been in an orphanage because her parents had uh, given her up because they could no longer afford to feed her and their other children. And even in, in the orphanage, she didn't have much food. And so when they sat down to dinner, which was just a normal dinner for them, pork chops on the table, potatoes, bread, vegetables, plenty to eat and drink. She had never seen so much food in one place. And then the, the family began to eat, and her teenage brothers ate one plate and then another, and pretty soon the pork chops and the potatoes were all gone. Her new parents could see that, that Addie was experiencing some concern. They wondered what it was. Is it, is it homesickness? Is it fear? What was causing her to be so upset in these moments in her new home? And then the mom began to realize she's afraid that's all the food she's going to have. And so she took little Addie and first went to the refrigerator and opened the refrigerator and and showed her there was plenty to drink and, and other, other food there. And then she took her to the freezer, another place, and there was uh, uh, chickens in there that she'd recognize and other kinds of food and, and plenty of vegetables. And then she took her to the pantry where she saw that it was full of food as well. She didn't just say, we've got plenty of food here. She showed her that she didn't need to worry about being hungry again. She showed her that she was now home and that those brothers that were eating all the food on the table were not her enemy or competition. She was a part of this family and she would never go hungry again. The first part of Ephesians tells us that we were orphans, but then we were adopted in love. That that makes us a part of the family of the God of the universe, and because of that, Ephesians goes on to say, we are entitled to all of the riches in Christ Jesus. With that in mind, listen to what Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus, beginning with verse 14 of chapter 3. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Amazing, incredible words. An amazing prayer. Prayer for that which we are entitled to. Impossible for us to grasp. And yet we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would teach us more of this. That you would show us of this spiritual power that is available to us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is available. And we should therefore ask for it daily and boldly before the Father. Paul begins, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? Well, that, that's the connector there. And so you got to look back and you, you, you begin in chapter 1 with the cascading truths of uh, all that he had said about uh, God's choosing love for us. How he chose us for adoption. Predestined us before the foundation of the world. He knew us. And then as, after he, he shows from God's perspective that which uh, is uh, our salvation, then he shows from our perspective, reminding us that we were, we were dead. We were spiritually dead, unable to help ourselves, not one little bit. And because of that, it's by grace that we are saved through faith. Not by our works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on and begins to apply, saying, you and you, you Jews and you Gentiles who uh, have 
grown with so much hatred toward one another because of Jesus Christ, that that you hated each other over is no longer there. The dividing wall of partition has been broken down by Jesus Christ on the cross. So there must not be those divisions among you. And then he says, we are to, and by the way, after this, next week's another transition is the the last two verses I read. But then he's going to hit one radical application after another based on everything that he said before. This is when it gets really exciting. (laughs) Now, he, began, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. We all know what that means. You, you know what I mean when I say, and this did take place, on the first Saturday in January, our elders got together and began the year on our knees. You know what that means you know that we gathered and we prayed. Now, we started literally on our knees, and then we got up and we walked all over the building and prayed for ministry after ministry that, uh, that uh, God is doing here and that he would do in this next year. But I say all that to say this. We know what that phrase means. And yes, he was talking about prayer, but... In that day, that wasn't the normal posture for prayer. It was one of them, but to stand and pray would have been every bit as common. And so what was he saying here with uh, bowing my knees before the Father? Back in Isaiah 45, you don't need to turn to it, uh, verse 23 says to me, To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. What does that sound like? That sounds like Philippians 2, verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, as I said, Paul is talking about uh, prayer here. But basically, he's making the point I'm doing this now. I'm not going to wait until that day when everyone is going to bow the knee. This is my posture before uh, the Father now. And it is. It is about prayer. Here at uh, St. Andrews, uh, we've shifted from having committees to teams. And... uh, Last Sunday at our our session meeting, we actually approved uh, a a new ministry team. Now, the other ministry teams basically are over uh, a a certain ministry like Christian education team, children's ministry team, outreach and assimilation team, mission team, uh, youth ministry team, and, and so on, women's leadership team. Those are all various teams, though. And so you might say, well, what, what, what else do you need? Well, <laughs> it will make sense when I tell you. We approved a prayer mobilization team. Now, I want to make it clear. 
these are not the folks that do our praying for us, okay? In other words, if we just called it the prayer team, people would have said, oh, good, okay, they'll take care of the prayer. Let's all, all us take care of this stuff, you know, the, the, the real practical stuff. Well, this instead is uh, to mobilize our congregation and all of our teams so that it, prayer be, becomes even more so the very fabric of what we do here. In fact, here's, here's the purpose of that prayer mobilization team. The purpose of this team is to mobilize members and attendees of St. Andrew's uh, to pray for the things of the kingdom. In other words, we, we, we will, yes, we will pray for those that are sick. That's important. But what we are called to pray for is a whole lot bigger and, and broader and deeper than that as well. The team will coordinate regular and special opportunities for people to pray corporately as well as to encourage the personal prayer lives of our members as a part of growing deeper as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The goal of the prayer mobilization team is to help create the atmosphere at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church where kingdom-focused prayer is a part of its very fabric and not merely an add-on. That's exciting to me. And by the way, if that's where your heart is, not just to be a prayer, but to help mobilize our, our congregation, uh, talk to Jason Hunt. He's going to be uh, leading that team at this time. One of the things that I know the team is interested in is praying using the Scripture. We do that a lot here. Pastor Pointer did it this morning in his prayer. And one of the, one of the beautiful things about praying the Scripture is this. If you choose the right Scripture in the right context, then you're praying for things that God says are important. And this passage, this prayer that we're looking at today is a perfect example. In fact, when I, when I started working on this passage, I added it to the things that I now pray every single morning. Some of you may say, well, I'm not good at praying, especially praying out loud. Well, here's your answer. This prayer is a prayer that you can pray for yourself, you can pray for your family, and please pray it for our church. That's what I'm doing, praying this prayer for our church. Let's look at the content of it. He talks in verse 16 about power in the inner man, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, what's he mean by the inner being? Well, one, one way to discern what a word means in one place is look at the same author and see how he uses that same word elsewhere. Uh, he talks about, he uses that same phrase over in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, where he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So what he's doing is making a distinction between uh, our, our bodies, that part being our outer self, 
and our inner core, our soul. And that's what he's praying for. He's not praying for worldly success, but instead with respect to the power of God that their souls may be strong. That word power, and we, we, we say this every time this word is used, it's from uh, the word dunamai. You know what it sounds like, dynamite, <laughs> explosive power. That's what, that's what he's actually praying there. Now, when you hear power, what do you think of? In our world, you might think of political power, financial power, being in a place of power. Those are all things that we would typically think of. This is talking about none of that whatever you think of in our day. In the kingdom of God, power comes from a different source and it looks different than it does in our world. But by the way, that, that's one of the best things. It's basically the only kind of strength that can grow as you get older. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, when I, when I was a kid and a young man, I, I used to lift a lot of weights. I did a lot of push-ups. And you know what? I got stronger. But then there came a point, and I can't tell you exactly when it was, but I, I reached a peak and I started down the other side. And that's, that's just the way it is. And... and that's the outer self, right? Which begins at some point to waste away. But I'll tell you this. Some of the most powerful people that I have met in my life had a weak outer man. They were at that point in their life where they, they, nobody would have said they were physically strong some were very, very weak, but their inner soul was full of power. And that's the good news for all of us, isn't it? That we, we, don't, we don't have to get to the point and reach that peak and then say, oh, okay, here we go, you know, down the other side. But instead, in Christ, we are entitled to continue to grow in that power and become more and more powerful and strong in the way that the Scripture describes it. Matthew Henry says, it's a strength in the soul, the strength of faith and other graces, strength to serve God, to do our duty and to persevere in our Christian course with vigor and with cheerfulness. It can and it should grow throughout our life if we're really in Christ. Now ask yourself, how much attention do you give to the outer man? You say, I don't, I don't give much attention. Well, think about it. You buy clothes. Maybe you try to eat healthy. Maybe you try to lose weight. Maybe you, you, know, you give yourself medicine. You maybe put on makeup. You know, things like that. 
How much attention do you give to your outer man? Is it anywhere, anywhere uh, what you attend to the inner man, is that anywhere close to how much you attend to the outer man? Look at what Paul's praying for. His glorious riches. He's already said that five times in Ephesians, talked about riches. And notice what it says, what, it, what it's linked with, according to his riches. Now, if a, if a wealthy person gives you something out of their riches, it could ju- be just a small amount. But if he gives according to his riches, it's going to be huge. And that's what he's praying, that God would pour that out according to his riches. He has riches, and that's the point. We don't have to wonder if if I pray for these riches, will he have them to give? Or will he run out before it's my turn? And by the way, this this is not what we would call the prosperity gospel. We always have to pause and clarify that. The prosperity gospel, and you see it, you can see it on TV. Not everybody on TV, but many of them on TV, many of the books you will see that are are very popular now speak of the prosperity gospel where they're basically saying, look, God wants you rich. But what they're saying is with, with finances and health, and so what they're doing is they're promising and prompting people toward that which God has never promised. And that's a problem. But they're also under-promising that which he has. And so if somebody says, you can have your best life now, you can be sure they don't understand the next life. So these riches that he speaks of are not that. They are offering that which God has for us. He doesn't promise uh, that every believer will be healthy and wealthy. That's way too puny for what he promises his children. Because here's the thing. Health and wealth go away at some point. They're transient. They last only years. What he promises lasts an eternity. What are these glorious riches? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul uses the word dwell there. The idea is that Christ in your heart is at home and comfortable there. Have you ever thought about that term? What, I, don't, I don't know what you do when, when you get home, but the first thing I do when I get home, after I, I greet Connie, then I say, well, I don't know where I ever got this term. I'm going to get my lounge clothes on. <laughs> now, my lounge clothes, <laughs> poor Connie, are... Uh, you know, an old T-shirt and sweatpants with holes in them. 
I know, your respect for Connie is just, it continues to go higher and higher. But you know what? That's, that's when I then can relax and feel comfortable. This is talking about Christ being comfortable in our heart. And so the question is, is he, is he comfortable there? Is he there in the center of it, or is he kind of on the suburbs out there, on the periphery, somewhere out there? Because you're not quite ready to permit him to be there right in the center, or he's not going to be comfortable if he's there. And then he talks about power through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the instrument of God's power. And what he's talking about is the the Spirit-filled life here. And he's going to talk about that even more later in Ephesians. We're going to get to that. But but let let me do a little theological surgery here briefly because we sometimes hear about baptism of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, and I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Let me just give you, I'm not big on formulas, but, but let, me, let me give you something that you can remember. One baptism, many fillings. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Just like in our Christian walk, we should only be baptized one time. That's how it is with the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have been baptized by the Spirit. Okay? It's initiatory at the beginning. But He can fill us. And we are to walk being filled with the Spirit. And there are going to be times we aren't doing that. And we are commanded to be filled. And there are times when He fills us and we know that wasn't me. Those weren't my words. Or something takes place where, where God has done His work. And that's what the prayer here is speaking of. That being baptized, uh, you can just look up sometime 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And by the way, there's not necessarily an out- outward manifestation when that takes place either. There's no evidence that that's the norm. That's the normal way for uh, the uh, baptism of the Spirit. And then he goes on to uh, flesh out about the power and strength that he is speaking of. Uh, Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Remember our verse of the year? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Here he's saying, he's praying that they will have the strength, the power to comprehend that more and more. But he, he prays that they'll be rooted and grounded, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What he's doing here is 
you English teachers already know what he's doing. He's mixed his metaphors, right? He's taken uh, uh, an agricultural and a building metaphor. But people will understand. The idea of being rooted, uh, you know, listen to the garden show on Saturday morning, longing for spring, you know, and they talk about the importance of rooting things. And he's saying that's what we're praying for. But then he also talks about grounding and, and there the idea of the foundation like he's already talked about. But, but what roots us and what grounds us? What's not going to let go? It's the love of God. And that's what he emphasizes here. And then here's what he's saying. This is why it takes prayer. This is why it's not just about studying the love of God. You know, let's study up on it, then we'll get it. Because he is praying that we will know what can't be known, basically. I love how Paul plays with the language. Remember last week, uh, he talked about being less than the least. And then we've seen places where he's made up words, you know, but they were very descriptive. Well, I think he's, he's in essence playing with the language here again. But, but we can understand what he's saying. Verse 19, he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> That's what he, he's, he's praying for. To know that which can't be known. So how are we going to know that which can't be known? It's got to come from God. And that's why we're praying about it, right? Because we're not automatic. We can't, we can't search it out. And so this is a prayer that we need to be praying. God, I want to know your love even more. But the only way I'll know that that which can't be known is as you reveal it, then it can be known. Arthur Burns was a Jewish economist. And at one point, he was influential uh, under several presidents. He was once asked, he was, he was Jewish, but he was once asked to pray at a gathering of evangelical uh, politicians. Here's what he prayed. And his hosts were pretty stunned when he did. He prayed, Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. He's about to talk about being filled with the fullness. What if everybody in this room, all of us who claim to know Christ, suddenly knew Him in a deeper way? What impact would that have on your work, on your home, on your school? What difference would it make if, if this many people went out wherever you go tomorrow and you knew him in a deeper way. You were filled with the fullness of God. That's the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. He who has Christ has everything that is necessary for the fullness 
of God. He uses this, the this same word is used back when, when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. They had empty baskets, baskets that were empty that then became full. How'd that happen? A work of God. And that's the only way this will happen as well. With what? Well, if we be, even begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, we will be filled to overflowing. Don't act if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation. Don't act like you're still an orphan. Like you don't have access. If you are walking around and you are weak, that's who this prayer is for. And by the way, that's all of us. Don't settle for the, the scraps that this world would give you. I am praying that you will savor and experience and, and be filled with all the fullness of God. Will you pray that too? Let's bow together. Lord, speaking of knowing the unknowable, I'm not even sure what all that means to be filled with the fullness. But I want to know. And I want to experience that. And I want everyone in this room to experience that. But the only way, the only way that will happen is not as we conjure it up, but as you pour it out. And so we ask. Will you give us your strength and that power of the Spirit? Help us to enjoy your glorious riches. And will you fill us with all the fullness of Christ Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.